0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer
1: the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Matt Preem, Jared Mack on this Monday edition of the podcast, opening up the mailbag. It's been a little bit since we've done one of these. Uh, we've got some good questions, a little bit of everything. We've got some recruiting. We've got some football. We've got some baseball that we'll touch on today's show. And, Jared, let's start off here with the recruiting segments first. Um, Ducks Cruz is question number one. Which game – or, excuse me, Jordan S- Snyder is question number one. Uh, does this 2024 recruiting class have the potential to flirt with or surpass the 300 points in the rankings. Uh, Some context here, 300 points is right around what is required for a top five finish. Sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes top four is all you get with a 300 ranking. Um, Other times it's close. Oregon's highest rated class in 2021 came in at 287. So they've never actually reached the 300 point plateau um from a recruiting ranking perspective. Uh previously. Now Oregon's current recruiting class is 10th in the country in the composite. Uh they are at 178. So they are past halfway with just 10 commitments. Seven of those guys, uh, guys.
0: That's not a that's not updated yet. They still oh, have if he if he in there. He's at so it the is- class itself now is 19513. 190. Yeah. 190. Yeah, so there's 7th I think that is. I think Florida State is at 192.
1: Why is the composite not showing that. That's interesting. Well, yeah, but when you go
0: to the, when you go to the class calculator to, to add it, it's already added in, so.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Nonetheless. Site maintenance issue, I guess. But nonetheless, yeah, Oregon's past halfway, 195 just under 200. Um Jared, I I think if my answer is if if the question was flirt with 300, yes, they're right on track for that. They they are going to be right under 300 right now. Um, surpass 300? That's where it gets dicey. That's where it gets interesting because you're going to be required from an Oregon standpoint. You, you got to have a couple five stars in this class if if you're going to hit the 300 mark or if you don't have a five star, basically every guy you add moving forward is like a top two, two four seven guy. Every guy has got to be highly rated. Um, so it's, it's flirting. Absolutely, I'm all on board with that. Surpassing three hundred, they've never done it before, and it's kind of a until they do it, I'm gonna say no.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think people kind of understand how difficult it is to do this to get to that three hundred threshold. Uh, you see teams like Alabama and Georgia and uh, Ohio state do it all the time. But I, I mean, they're just recruiting powerhouses. That's the other thing. And you get the random once a year is with the Texas a and M's and that 2022 class that broke all the record records, which was then just broken the next season. Um, but even still like that class that Texas a and M class that everybody thinks is or was at the time, like the world's best recruiting class, that was only 333 composite points. And so that's, that's, a bit over 300, but you're not 380, 390, um, it's extremely difficult to do so. And I think the thing uh, or what Oregon will have to do, like you said, Matt, is they can't really afford to add any more three stars in this class if they want to get to that 300 threshold. Um, You look at that 2022 season, the most three stars to get to 300 was eight. Uh, But Georgia also had five five stars. Uh, Texas A&M that year had eight of them. Uh, You go to last year's recruiting class, which I thought for Oregon was a pretty darn good one, coming in at 278. I think that's the second highest in Oregon history. Um, The three classes that did get over 300 had a combined 12 three stars. Oregon itself had nine. Uh, So that's the difference. So you need to add as many five stars as you can, and you need to not have as many three stars as you can. And it's fine if Oregon doesn't flirt with three hundred. It's not a bad yeah. thing. It's just really, really hard because not only are you fighting teams within your own conference for players, you know, for Oregon specifically, it would be USC, UCLA, all those um, you know bigger powerhouses on the Pac-12. But you're also going to be fighting against every, every team I just mentioned. You're going to be going against the Georgias, the Bamas, the AMs, the Oklahomas, the Ohio States, uh, the Miamis. Uh, it's it Clemson and two. It's difficult. It's going to be really hard for where we're going to do it, but uh, they've had a great start to this class now with, you know, eight, eight, four stars, three, three stars. I think that's the philosophy they need. And then we'll get to this in a second for our second question on the show, but, and they're in contention with a lot of other high caliber recruits in this 2024 class.
1: Yeah, that's just segue right into the second question for the show because it's my talking point of how they're going to get to 300. Mm -hmm. Um, Wink asks, realistically, how many five-star recruits does Oregon sign in 2024? If possible, who are the possibilities? Um, This bleeds right into, like I said, how Oregon gets to 300. I I think there's three guys that are five-star players that you say there's – there's a decent chance that Oregon can go out and land one of these guys um, right now. Uh and it, it starts with David Stone, the five-star defensive lineman from Florida. Um he was here for the spring game. Is he as realistic as the other two names I have on my list? No, but he's he's been he, he has strong interest in Oregon. The next guy is Stone is 7th in the country overall. Um, second best defensive lineman in the country. Um, we should note Williams Nawarni, uh, he, he put Oregon in his top 10. You had that story mm-hmm. up yep. on duckterritory.com. Um, Oregon made the cut, he's the number one defensive lineman in the country, he's the third best player overall. Uh, Oregon's there, obviously. Um, but my second player is Elijah Rushing, he was here for Ahead of the spring game, he's the number one edge player in the country. He's out of Arizona, so he's kind of a local guy. He's from Tucson, um, West Coast guy. You know, distance will help Oregon here. Uh, and then also, you you go down a little bit, and the number one offensive tackle is Brandon Baker out of Matter Day High School in Southern California. Oregon's involved another five stars, but I feel like those three feel like there's a good possibility Oregon lands one of those. Um, if Oregon can get to two or if they can look at other five stars in the mix here um, and, and and pluck one of those guys as well, get to two or three, then 300 becomes a very realistic scenario. Um, but to get to 300, you need more than one five star. And right now, I, I have a, I have a hard time if, if if the over under was one and a half saying over, it could get there. That may change yeah. in two months, but one right now feels safe.
0: One for sure feels safe. I would imagine Oregon probably feels best about Brandon Baker just cause yeah. you know, brother Gary goes, went to Oregon a couple of years ago. Um, he's been to campus. I think he said in an article with Greg Biggins that he's been to five spring games. Um, Pretty good. That's a good idea. He he probably understands what campus looks like at this point. Yeah. Uh, and then rushing is obviously the guy that that Oregon has been after for years. Now under two different head coaches, um, somebody who is going to be poached by basically every school in the country, um, as he should, very talented player. Um, but like you said, Matt, those are the two. I would say the favorites. You know, Diamond. Yeah, David Stone. Diamond Stone was a former Maryland center. Just a tremendous name, Williams Nawari. That uh, another guy that Oregon had had made his top. I think it was top eleven. Uh, Terry Busey was another guy that Oregon made his top ten or top seven, whatever it was. Um, but I think yeah, you feel the most confident about Baker and rushing. But even still, you know th- those are going to be difficult recruiting battles. And for Oregon, this is where you kind of look every season at where these top 30 guys are where these top five stars are actually from in the country because there aren't a whole lot of them coming from the west coast which is what helps oregon sometimes and what really hurts oregon other times um and that's why teams like georgia like alabama like ohio state or clemson or florida whoever the case may be that's why that they have these tremendous classes because well they can you know, they can go visit a couple guys in one day while Oregon it's going to take, you know the recruiting staff a whole whole day to travel out to that side of the country and then a whole day to go traverse that side of the country. Um, so it's a bit more difficult there, and that's why Oregon it's always has always had trouble getting that three hundred threshold. Um, but there's more guys that Oregon can certainly go after. Zabian Brown, cornerback at a modern day, Aaron Scott, I think uh, is visiting visiting Oregon soon. I think Greg Biggins had an article on that. Uh, Gatlin Blair, who just ran an absurd 100 meters uh, over the weekend, is another guy that could potentially move in that five-star category. Those are all four stars right now, but high four stars. Ryan Pelham from Long Beach, a wide receiver. That's somebody who, Greg Biggins, I know a name dropped him down three times, but someone that had, he said on the Hudson and Audible's podcast that Oregon is very interested in that he's, that, that, that he's also very interested in Oregon. Um, again, another high four-star who can move into that five-star range, but you know, Oregon doesn't have a spectacular track record with attracting more than three five-star, two five-stars. Uh, even last season, they get two five-stars on paper, but Mateo Yungale drops at the end of the year, and Jurion Dickey is the only five-star that commits to that class, so it's only one. Um, it's difficult. It's difficult, but they still can bring in a lot of talent, even if it's not five-stars. But, uh, yeah, for the over-under on one-and-a-half, like you said, it's, it's difficult to say over, but I'll do it. I feel good that Rushing and, and Baker are both from the West Coast and have had connections with
1: Oregon for a very long time. Yeah, I'll certainly agree that the frequency of Oregon signing multiple five stars in a year has, has gone up and certainly yeah you know, and this is this is just like the the big picture of of the Oregon program building itself into hopefully in their eyes a national championship caliber you know a team that wins the national championship is it used to be a case of just getting a five star on campus was a victory and getting you know being in that final decision was a a win to then getting the rare occurrence of signing a five-star prospect. And now it's kind of, I don't know if it's expected or if it's a fair, realistic expectation, but the idea is essentially every year you get one. And now it's starting to become a trend where it's, Hey, maybe every other year or every third year, you're going to have a season in which you sign more than one five-star in a recruiting class. I don't know if it's fair to to say that it should happen every single year, but that's becoming the norm where, or it's happening at least on a regular basis where it's every year you know, or every two years or every three years, they sign multiple guys. And now we're starting to get into the threshold of, can they do three? Can they do four? And that's when you start building these, these programs and the depth and, a talent roster of someone that can win a national championship when you stack multiple years of multiple five stars and multiple top 100 guys, and you flirt with that 300 number ranking um, that Jordan brought up for three or four straight years. Whether you're mm-hmm. at 290 or 320 or 305 or 285, you do that for three or four years in a row. Now you're in a place where you can compete and really have the talent and the depth. To have a chance at a national championship.
0: Yeah, and I'll, and you know I think Oregon this season certainly has a, a very good chance of landing multiple five stars, and I would expect to go down the line of of a Dan lanning led recruiting staff uh, to have that chance basically every opportunity they get. Um, you know, you look back at the the 2020 class for for Oregon, that's three five stars and Sewell and Flo and Dante Manning and you know say whatever you want about the players but that was you know a huge thing for oregon then Uh, i would still say it you know it's still a big thing now with at least dante manning still on campus um but you know oregon's certainly positioning themselves uh to potentially get that same number again this year Uh, i will say that you know despite the fact that a lot of players a lot of these highly rated five stars come from all across the country i do think that in the last two years under Dan Lanning that they've done a tremendous job of picking places or going to different states and finding players in those those states and the talent there. Um, Obviously, Texas has been a huge recruiting pipeline for Oregon this past two years, especially last season. Uh, They have like 10 players from Texas, six or eight to 10 players from Texas in their 2023 class. Um, But you already look at this year's class. They've already jumped into Texas. Obviously California and Arizona, but they've gotten a four star, Tyone Gray from Missouri, uh, Tysier, Denmark from Pennsylvania, and then Obadegwu, Iffy, our guy, St. Francis Academy down in Baltimore and the land. So they've done a good job of expanding their boundaries and where they are they are going to recruit compared to, you know, staffs in the past, compared to years in the past. I think that's a significant development and a significantly positive development for Oregon moving forward.
1: All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, finish the second half of the mailbag show.
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: All right, welcome back to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Um, Next question goes to On the Field from Ducks Cruz. Which game are you more worried about this season? USC, but they get to play in Autzen. At a hostile Utah or playing against a very talented Washington team in Seattle? Hashtag Odds and Audibles. Um, this is a good question. I think USC, in my eyes, has the best quarterback uh, in the conference, probably the most explosive offense. Maybe that's Washington. Um, Washington beat Oregon, obviously, but that game's in the middle of October. It's, it's not a game that's going to be late into November when sometimes we get these crazy wind wind or rain games up in Montlake. Um, And then there's Utah. And that's where I land. I I think with this game being in late October, I understand USC is in November, but it's a road game against the most consistent team in the conference beyond Oregon, or maybe even ahead of Oregon, the last five or six seasons in the conference. They are a physical team. They are always hard to play uh, for Oregon, and they just haven't won in Utah in a while. Um, So I'm landing on Utah. They have history of winning in Seattle. They have history of beating USC. I think the home factor in the USC game matters. Um, Just the elevation, the opponent, the quality of opponent, the lack of success in Salt Lake City. I'm going road game at Utah
0: I think it's a fair pick uh, all three of these games are very difficult I I don't know you could you could you could have picked any of them and I would have probably said that that's yeah. a fair pick um, I will say I, you know I was there it was in 21 when Oregon lost to Utah uh, at Rice Eccles Stadium that's a it's a tough environment to play in it's definitely not easy you know even last year when Cameron Rising was hurt Utah put up a hell of a fight I know Bo Nix was also hurt so that was you know a battle of the injured quarterbacks um cam rising is, is still hurt so we'll see how he comes back and progresses through his injury for this upcoming season i would expect by that point though that utah would be looking like utah um i don't know worried i guess the question is worried about uh i'm gonna go with washington i think just just to have a different answer than you matt because I, yeah. I definitely utah is definitely a worrisome game it's gonna be the one of the hardest ones on the schedule i just i, I guess i'll go with washington um we'll see though because you know going in that game last season i think we all anticipated that oregon that it would be high scoring affair no matter what but that at one point oregon would get the stop because of their run defense but for that game washington just ran all over the field and through all the through all over the field with michael Penix. I, you know, depending on how Oregon's defense looks to begin the season, I have no idea that it'll be any different. And that's pretty pretty daunting if you're an Oregon defensive back because that game was not uh, definitely not put on a lot of people's highlight reel tapes um, for very obvious reasons. And, you know, Washington got better this offseason. It's just another year under Grubb and another year with Penix at the helm. Uh, Rama Dunze and Jalen McMillan are are two guys that are going to be really difficult to stop this season. Um, I think I kind of worry more about Washington's play style than Utah's play style, kind of similar to last year where Oregon Oregon and Utah, I guess under the Mario Cristobal regime more or less, kind of played a similar style where they're just going to smash neck and try to to beat each other up in the trenches more than anything else compared to Washington. Um, But I think that that washington game is going to be more more and more interesting to me and i would be a bit more worried and i know it's on the road but i think rice cycles is a much more difficult place to play in after being the both um i know that was the bad year at washington so i certainly didn't get to live out uh like the 2019 year where or going out there with herbert and one but I still think that that right cycles is more difficult, but I, you know, it's Washington. So it's always going to have a little, little special extra kick to it at the end of the day.
1: I was just going to say that, that that game will be a little bit more juiced up because Mm -hmm. Washington won; they'll be confident. The fan base will be confident. And and look, Michael Penix is an elite quarterback and their receivers are elite as well. Um, And like you said, it was not a game for an Oregon DB to to, to copy and paste highlights because they got burned a ton of times. Um, And I think, I think that place will be, it will be really good um, from an environment, from a college football standpoint, better than 19. um, And in my opinion, because this Washington team could be, they could be top five. They could be top 10. And I don't remember their schedule off the top of my head, but, that could very well be a, a top 10 matchup a top 15 type matchup um, mm-hmm. at in, in montlake and that's going to be it, it's going to be hostile that was the game i would pick if if it wasn't going to be U- utah and like look like you said these are all difficult picks we we could have picked any combination that we we mm-hmm. wanted and it would have been the right pick um pact is going to be good next year there's just no way around it
0: very good. And it's going to be a tremendous send off because that'll be the last yes. year it exists. Can't wait. <laughs> All I'm right, only kidding. But is- it's going to be a good, it's going to be a tremendous year. So many good quarterbacks. And uh, I'm surprised Oregon State wasn't on that question, though, because that's, that's a worrisome game for yeah. some.
1: Yeah, they beat Oregon last year, too, in a mm-hmm. humiliating fashion, too, come from behind. Um, next question from Mike. After the impressive spring game, should we be penciling in Cole Martin for the two deep at cornerback? I think the important word here is penciling because that can be erased. That can be changed. If it was penned Mm -hmm. or inked in, uh, I would say no. But right now, I think think Cole Martin's going to play as a true freshman. Is he going to play – 35, 40% of the snaps in the secondary? No, I don't think that happens. I think he's on the special teams units. I think he finds his way onto the football field and select opportunities. Um, But, yeah, I I think he's going to be a guy that plays as a true freshman, which would mean most likely he's on the two deep in some capacity.
0: Uh, No, I don't think so. I don't think Cole Martin is on the two deep no, um, he played star safety or star corner during the spring game, which, which was good. I thought he was really good. I thought, again, I think he'll play. I think he'll play special teams. I think he'll get in when uh, kind of like a Jaleel Florence role last season. Um, you know, was Jaleel Florence on the two deep? No, not really. Uh, my two deep, which you can read on duckterritory.com. I have TriQuiz Bridges, Kyrie Jackson, Dante Manning, Jaleel Florence. Um, Cole Martin was third or fourth highest rated cornerback recruit in this past year's class. And Dalen Austin and Roderick Pleasant still aren't on campus yet. So I'm going to give them their, their piece and then I'm going to let them try to play their way into a two deep. Um, look, I think Martin is a very, very talented player. And I think that he will play this season, but I'm not going to pencil him on the two deep. Uh, Oregon's cornerback room has a tremendous amount of talent this year. And Cole Martin is definitely a part of that, but there's still talent coming. Um, we saw it in the spring game. I think that even if he even if he sticks just at star, I wouldn't have him in the two deep there. Um, I would still have Tysham Johnson and Kamari Terrell, but I think that him and Terrell are more likely to battle first time at that star position than him and Dante Manning or Jaleel Florence or somebody in the other corners. So, pencil in, you can do it. I'm not. I'm just not going to. I I still think that
1: there's four or five guys ahead of Cole Martin in the cornerback room. Well, this is another question that I'm gonna segue here because if I, I think I think Cole plays more than four games. Um he's gonna get on the field. Dylan yeah. Austin, Roderick Pleasant, um do all three play? Should all three play, or should Oregon find a way to redshirt one, two, or all of these guys because of depth? I think I think they need to play. If they're ready, to play. Yeah, I I think the 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 redshirt thing
0: is silly. I think if you got, I think what what Dan says all the time, even though he doesn't actually follow up on it, like if you're good yeah. enough, you're old enough. Um, you know, he didn't play any true freshman last year other than Josh Connolly, But I digress. If they're good enough, yeah, they got to get on the field. If Roderick Pleasant and Dale and Austin are day one, these guys are too good. They're not as good as Bridges or Jackson, but they're too good to just ride Pine yeah, you figure out a way to get him on the field. Uh, you know, I think Pleasant's gonna be Morgan's everyday kick returner. Um, he's just too damn fast. He's going to be uh, not really comparing, but he's going to be the equivalent of what Michael Wright was in the two thousand and nineteen team, um, even though Michael Wright is not nearly as fast as Roderick Pleasant. Um, so that's gonna be you know four games down the drain just immediately. Um, it's always nice to have an extra year eligibility, but if players are that good, they're only going to be there for three years anyways. So, and you know, if you're Oregon, you're certainly hoping that uh, Dalen Austin and Roderick Pleasant are this good, um, not because they need them, but in a couple of years they're going to. And uh, Cole Martin, they're going to need him too. But uh, you know, I think all of the the true freshman cornerbacks, at least the four stars guys that are coming in, should should see playing time. But I think Cole is probably going to be the third of those group. But it does help him being a coach's son and getting to getting to school and to camp early because now he knows the playbook. That's a whole thing that he doesn't have to learn in the summer when everybody else does.
1: All right. Last question comes from Theo Winter. Baseball question. With only two more regular season series left against Washington and Utah, how important is it that we get these W's to end the season? And do you think we still have a chance – at hosting a super regional matchup. Now, Jared, uh, it's been about a week and a half, two weeks since we've spoke on the podcast about baseball. And since then, the Ducks have lost three of their last – or four of their last five games. Um, Mm -hmm. Arizona State, Oregon State, USC twice. They lost the series on the road. Um, As the resident baseball guy of the podcast – Seems like they've kind of hit a little downspurt here and they you know, maybe th- some things the resume has taken a hit a little bit. Yeah,
0: um kind of more or less. I, I think the USC series this past weekend was uh you know derailed early because Jay Stoffel, their Friday night starter, did not pitch on Friday um, for reasons undisclosed. Uh Kendall Rogers of D One Baseball said that he wasn't injured um and that he was just scratched. Uh, you know, I've reached out to people on the staff, and I haven't heard back. So that's not necessarily a good sign. Um, but again, I'll talk to head coach Mark Wasikowski on Wednesday, and we'll find out what that where, where that goes. But you know, with, without Stofel, Oregon's pitching staff is it's pretty barren. Um, it's not great, and they had to put two true freshmen on the mound and Leo Olman and and uh, Matthew Grabman on Sunday to start, and USC took advantage of that. Uh, they had two big innings, which is what happens a lot with freshman pitchers. They just allow a mistake to kind of excuse me snowball and snowball, and then ultimately there's four or five runs who cross home plate, and that's exactly what happened on Friday and Sunday. Um, the Oregon State game midweek start. Um, Oregon certainly had their opportunities to go and and take or cut into the lead of of the Beavers and maybe take that game, but. Um, They fall to 1-3 and on the year against Oregon State, which isn't great. Um, It's a good Oregon State team, top 15 in the country. As for how important is it to win these final two regular season series, really important. I think winning every series is important. Um, I think Oregon has kind of firmly supplanted themselves as a potential uh, regional host. Uh, The recent projections haven't come out, but... I would imagine that they're either right on the edge or that they are still intertwined as the 12 seed there in Eugene. Uh, The other thing that Oregon has going for them is that PK park is a tremendous field and has a tremendous clubhouse and um, really good features for any of the traveling journalists or news, news stations or TV channels. that want to go there. It's certainly something the NCAA will think about when they host or when they decide who the regional hosts are. So that's, that's a, that's a positive, but, if Oregon wins these final two series, I would certainly pen them in to be a regional host. Uh, it's just going to be difficult because Oregon State is certainly worthy of it, but I don't think they're going to have two in the Pacific Northwest. And I think that uh, you know a company like ESPN, who covers it all, probably would take Oregon's over Oregon State's. Um, we'll see. I think, it, I think they're both deserving of it, but I think Oregon does have the upper hand in the facilities venue. Um, lastly, for hosting a super regional matchup, no
1: chance
0: at this point. No chance. You know, Oregon dropped to 23rd, 24th in the rankings today after a one in three week, which is expected. I expected them to drop all the way out. Super Regionals, no chance. I mean, you got to be a top 12 seed. Um, Oregon's right on the, right on the kind of, or excuse me, not even a top 12 seed. You got to be a top eight seed. I think it is six, six seed. Um, Oregon's not close to that. And the Pac 12 kind of, the Pac 12 is really top heavy. It's what it has been in your past. The top four seeds are really good. Everybody else is not. And you look at a pro, or excuse me, you look at a conference like the SEC, where Tennessee, which went into the season as like a top five team in the country, is now 25th. Um, that's a really good conference. Tennessee, Florida, Vanderbilt. Um, LSU, obviously, who just was uh, kicked out of number one on the polls for the first time all season long. Um, that's a damn good conference. So every weekend there's your RPI is going up, your rankings are either going up or down. Uh, there's just too much competition there for Oregon to even think about being a super regional host. but regional hosts, yeah, with two series wins in the next two weeks, I could see it happening.
1: Now we should note. Know- they play Washington at home for a season, home series finale. The Huskies are fifth in the conference at 13 and 10 uh, in league play. And then they go on the road to last place, Utah, who's 18, who's eight, 18 and one, uh, a tie game. That's strange yeah. in baseball. Um, so. Oh, I, wait, I remember that one. That was against. Uh...
0: UCLA and UCLA yep. they had a flight that needed to leave and they said all right we're gonna we're, we're stopping the game here we're tying <laughs> so happened Oregon That's... they had that happen to Oregon last year they were up like 21 yeah. to 4 and they were like we got a plane to catch uh, we gotta leave it's like we're ending this after
1: eight innings mind you uh those two teams are, the, are not the only teams in the conference to have a tie. USC also has a tie this season. Mm-hmm. You get some funky stuff in college baseball with flights and road trips home and, and what have you. But safe to say, Jared, knowing that play two teams who are further down the, the, the standings than them, they've basically, you know, if, if they want to guarantee a, a, a regional. Do they got to go six and zero, or can they drop one of these games?
0: Going going six and zero obviously would secure it, but no, I think if they win both of them. So I think if they go four and two, two and one, I think that they, yeah, two and one each time. I think that they're fine. Um, Washington is a is a solid program. Their overall record isn't great, but their conference record they're only half game back of the Ducks. Um, so this would be a battle for the four seed, and I do believe the top four seeds in the Pac twelve tournament get a first round bye, uh, if I remember correctly. So that would mean that Oregon doesn't play on Tuesday, the 24th, and we'll begin their tournament on Wednesday, the 25th. So I think that's important as well. Um, but Utah, not great, but Washington, Washington can swing it. They're, they're kind of built like Oregon. They don't have a great pitching staff, but they can certainly slug with the best of them. Um, it's going to be a fun weekend. Uh, it's supposed to be wicked hot. I think it is, so that's exciting for, for at least me sitting there in the press box. It's going to be nice outside. Um, it's going to be ninety five degrees on su- on Sunday. Yeah, and I, you know Oregon's probably playing at noon. I got a schedule somewhere around here, but it's going to be wicked hot, and uh, I'm excited for that. But overall, to answer the question, Matt, yeah, I think going four and two bare minimum. Gets them a regional host, uh, depending on again if the NCAA wants two regionals that are in uh, the Pacific Northwest. Which, for how good Oregon and Oregon State have been this year, wouldn't be surprised.
1: All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the show. Until later this week, when we bring back Eric Scopel on the on the pod. Uh, you've been listening to the Ots and Audibles podcast
0: peace Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown my job is to create a balance avoid a war from executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone there's some new players in town and they brought the flake. and Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is the next level the mayor is back in business are you warning me? You wanna find out? Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.